Welcome back, podcast listeners, here with episode 164. I was going to make this podcast about myself today, but I've been told otherwise, and, and Vaughn's wandered in here because um, he just wanted to have a chat to you today, Tony. Yeah, so it's. Um, I think uh, Vaughn, I probably far prefer speaking to Vaughn than to you anyway, Jamie, Dang. so Vaughn challenges me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tony. It's nice to be back, and it's nice to give Jamie a, a well-deserved break from uh, talking about himself. So. But we also know here, Jamie Vaughn is the one that always has 400 questions. Yeah, well, that's right, and when you start talking markets, that's when I just take the headphones off and uh, let you two go for it. <laughs> okay, so let us go for it. So, Tony, actually, I'll, I'll start, where because I want to make sure your head fits out of this door um, when we leave. <laughs> <laughs> but are we starting with you pick the bottom of the market? Is that where we're starting I, at? I think that is where we're starting. So back on the 16th of June, uh, Tony did announce to the office that this was the bottom of the market. And, you know, here we sit uh, pretty much two months later to the day. And, uh, you know, he, he's pretty happy with himself. So <laughs> the S&P 500 since, since that day is up 17%. But, um, but generally, Tony, markets are looking like they're recovering across the board. They are, and I'm pretty sure you just said to me before, Vaughn, that I actually picked it to the hour. Now I know I know I haven't sat in client <laughs> meetings before, but I know Tony draws that sort of little U shape and, and says, you know, we're not trying to pick the bottom, so we don't normally pick the bottom. But I've also I also always say, and our listeners will know this, Jamie, that if I ever did pick the bottom it would be pure fluke. Yeah. So uh, but to the to I mean to, to that day, I mean the markets still have gyrated a bit since then, but the fact is, is that we felt that the a lot of the bad news had already been factored in. There were reasons. I mean, in 2020, the Vaughan mentioned earlier, the markets uh, came down because of panic. Uh, we had COVID, of course. We didn't know what was going to happen. You know, was half the world's population going to die um, of this disease? Or was it just going to pan out? What was going to happen to the economy? Lockdowns happening everywhere all over the world. And so, and then, you know, so there's a whole range of things that came out of that. So there were panics. But what we saw there was mad fluctuations in the market where you have 5% drop in a day, which is just unheard of. Mm-hmm. But then the next day came back 4%. Yep. which was just unheard of you don't see uh that would that's a roller coaster but you might remember me pulling everyone together and saying you know in the 30 years of seeing markets go up and down i'm not panicking about this one because it's people are panicking due to uncertainty but there's no fundamental flaws with the market right now there's no there's no uh corruption in the market there's no fraud in the market which is what happened during the gfc um etc so i wasn't panicking the big concern was though is what's going to happen to the world's population. And there was obviously going to be concern about some stocks like travel, uh, whether it be flight centre travel, web Qantas. Uh, but the amount of people that we had, you remember, ringing up and saying, should I buy Qantas shares now? And my answer was no, <laughs> as we still don't know what's actually going to happen. So I think that's where one of the you know factors that you actually do have to look at is what's happened in the market and what are the reasons why. Whereas this time around... Uh, what's the analogy I use of the kids, the bad kid, you're sitting next to the bad kid in school? Yeah, just jabbing you in the ribs for six months. With a bobby pin, yeah, yeah basically. Okay. And after six months, you realise that's actually starting to hurt. Mm-hmm. But the market, the what's happened in the markets with uh, interest rate rises, uh, you know, the, the thought process or fear of consumer spending stopping, so retail uh, being affected. You know, we've still got, um, it's, it's not spoken about in the press, which interests me, uh, well, concerns me actually more to the point, but we still have, you know, I think 
was it in Melbourne at the moment, was only 38% uh, occupancy rate in the CBD at the moment on buildings? Yep, that's People right. People turning up to work? Yep, uh, Melbourne was actually the lowest. Uh, Melbourne and Sydney were a lot lower than the other Australian capital cities. Um, and, you know, those are the two cities, obviously, with the most um, CBD infrastructure as well. Yeah, and when you consider that you've got, uh, like, the building behind us, a building I've often eyed off and, like, quite a lot, the Origin Energy building, that... Now they just came out after posting a $2.2 billion loss last year, a $1.43 billion loss this year um, on a 20, 24 or 14, I think $14 billion turnover. And they had 12 floors there. They've given back eight. Yep. There's eight vacant floors in there right now and they're doing deals in there to try and get those filled. That's a concern that I do have. So there are certain aspects of the market that I still am concerned about and other aspects of the market that both in Australia, and we've brought a lot more back into Australia, but from Australia and internationally that we are fully supporting because we can see where those trends are moving. And with markets falling over the last six months uh, as inflation's been high and interest rates have been rising, have you found it interesting or unusual that uh, in the lead up to fear of interest rate rises, the market was actually falling and now that the rates actually have been rising, uh, the market hasn't responded. Like the last two times that US Fed increased rates, the market actually went up. Yeah, and that's what I said back in June is that I just think the bad news has already been factored into the markets. So we, you know, there was there was always this case of will Russia invade Ukraine and people say no, they won't do it, they won't do it, they won't dare. What will happen, you know, will it be a, a blitzkrieg wipeout in the space of a couple of weeks or, you know, are they going to get bogged down? Now I do know that if they last through the summer uh, over there, which I don't think the Russians will pull out and I don't know anything about war, uh, this might be a question for Kyle Tira or even for the young fella across there who's actually served, you know, in Iraq. but. The, the basis of it is is that right now they're getting bogged down. They can't travel, their tanks can't travel in the summer. But as soon as the winter hits there and the ground actually becomes hard, their tanks can actually start rolling again. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's actually the opposite in Ukraine because their ground actually goes uh, rock hard. So it's not like being snowed in like you would, you know, if you think of World War II documentaries yeah, when yeah. the Germans got snowed in yeah. um, in Russia because they didn't do the Blitzkrieg. They didn't get it over and done with in two weeks' time. Uh, so it's actually the opposite in Ukraine where their tanks actually move better during the winter in Ukraine because the ground is actually rock hard so their tanks can actually mobilise at that stage. Interesting. So, yeah, so, they're, so from that aspect it sounds as though it will be dragged on long after Christmas and what will actually happen there will be you know, quite interesting but you know, I think also too what that means for Australia is realistically are we on the verge of an economic boom, decade boom like we saw in the 90s through to the mid-2000s? And because if resources, Ukraine is a lot like um, Australia, where all the money they make is from the stuff they dig out of the ground or the stuff they grow on top of the ground, and really hard to do that when there's a war raging on around you. Really hard to get ships leaving shore, you know, full of wheat and grain. Yeah. Because uh, people are more interested in staying alive than actually cutting the wheat um, or digging up the coal. So as a result of that, you've got, you know, I mean, Africa as a continent is the biggest supply of resources, but it's also the most corrupt country in the world. So, And there's actually 54 countries in the continent of Africa, whereas Australia is just one country. Uh, might have been questionable during the pandemic, you know, with mm. the states doing what they want, but it's um, it's one country. So are we on the verge of a 10-year economic boom, which I, my personal opinion is, I think we are. It doesn't mean markets aren't going to go gyrate up and down all the time, but 
there's going to be sectors that always win out of booms for, if, since history has started. You know, so even if you go back to um, the uh, the Dutch Indian Trading Company, which is the first company to ever be traded in a stock exchange out of Holland, the sector besides them that really and the Dutch economy, which became the financial superpower back then, but the areas that really boomed after that was banking. The areas that really boomed after the um, automation of stuff in the late 1800s uh, was banking, uh, because as these as countries and organisations grow, they need access to capital. And when you've got access to capital, you're banking. I mean, it's uh, JP Morgan, you know, what we, and the empire that we see there today was built around loaning growth companies money. Mm-hmm. It's just that growth companies today are different than Andrew Carnegie Steelworks or JD Rockefeller's Oilworks. With that side of things as well, so rising interest rates, as you touched on before, um, do you both foresee you know, more increases coming? Probably, although I think the impact of rising interest rates is already taking an effect because inflation uh, on a 12-month rolling average actually reduced for the first time in the US uh, last month, um, still at 8%, I think 8, 8.4% down from 9 uh, So, you know, the, the impact of rising interest rates is coming into play. Uh, it, it's still probably, inflation still probably will be high for the next year or two at least, would you think, Tony? I'd say at least two years. Yeah, It's going to take a while for it to come down, but people aren't spending as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, if people aren't spending as much anymore, the you, ha- you can actually have the inverse effect where you've got suppliers actually having to put up their cost of goods because there's just not as much being sold. But you've also got uh, the one of the things here in Australia is the wages. Uh, we, we are an island. Uh, we don't have, you know, like Europe, people just crossing borders to go and get work especially if you're part of the EU, you don't actually have to be born in Germany. Now you can go from Belgium across the border and get a job in Germany as an example. example. And I think here we don't have that, so we do have a shortage of workers, even though on uh, Tuesday night I was having dinner with uh, one of my best mates, Terry, at University Cafe. And for the first time in a long time, we actually had two waitresses looking after us who actually had accents. And brand new, and as you know, I'm a regular there, so I, I, I notice these things. Brand new, been in the country two months, job at University Cafe. They weren't Italian accents, both of them were Irish. <laughs> uh, but the point is, is that... They can get on a plane and come here again. Correct, that's mm. right. And they actually were getting on a plane and coming here, and not coming here just for a holiday, but a working holiday. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's actually what I found interesting. So that's just University Cafe, but... It does seem to be that you do have that bit of a groundswell starting to happen again. And I think Australia is on the verge of, I, I don't believe, and you know, and even um, CBA come out and say this and some of the economists, Australia won't hit a recession. It won't be a hard recession anyway. We've done pretty well since 93 to avoid them or avoid really hard landings. But I actually think we're on the verge of a massive boom. My prediction thus, Reweighting our portfolios back into Australia as well as a result of that. Yep. Yeah, so, did you want to touch on part of that and why, you know, even with the ESG focus, even our non ESG funds? Yeah, yeah, well, we do have even in our standard portfolios um, a few ESG funds in there. Um, and, you know, a lot of clients do ask uh, how, how we can have an ESG focus in Australia, given that a lot of the large companies that make up the ASX 20 are actually miners and banks in Australia. Um, but what, what's often lost is that the banks, uh, they actually tick a lot of the boxes um, in terms of meeting the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, the corporate governance, they're all over. 
Um, and then in terms of the uh, you know ethical way of doing business and sustainability, I mean NAB for example, um, I forget the figure, but it was a, it was a large amount of their lending is actually going towards renewable energies. 12, 12.7 billion dollars, and yeah. it's only because I just freshly read this this morning, yeah. uh, but 12.7 billion dollars or 75% of their entire lending book to the energy sector is in renewable Renewables, energy. Yeah. So and that's them helping get to the 2013 to 2015 net zero. Net zero. Uh, yeah. So they're actually, they're actually supporting those, and I mean even, I think there was something like 14 billion dollars in green bonds that mm. they actually raised as well. Mm. And what I found actually interesting too is 50 or 60, I think it was 58, uh, companies that they identified as their clients that they've loaned money to who are very carbon intensive, so nowhere near carbon neutral, they're actually working with them now to see how they can actually bring them down to be more carbon neutral as well. So from an ESG perspective, that's why the banks do form part of yeah. the ESG. And of course, when we have a boom, in the market, and it's a long-term boom, once again, the banks will win. Hmm. People have more money, they put it in the bank. People have more money, they borrow more money. They go out and buy another house. The economy starts to really go. Everything starts to really move again. People are spending money again. People are upsizing their house. People are getting pay rises. The And then, of course, on that as well, companies are really going well. Interest rates, uh, you know, if, if you borrow money at 6% and all of a sudden interest rates have dropped to 3 Geez, you know, that's free cash flow for a company as well to pay off debt even quicker. So companies are expanding and borrowing more money to continually expand also. So, and that's where you have the banks are the holder of money and the giver of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just, and then those, those companies that actually really work well off that. And you've got, you've got areas and regions that will go really boom off that too. So originally, if it starts in mining, it'll always start over in WA. And then they pay all the GST, and then it all filters back to the eastern states. So basically, you've got your uh, Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, uh, which are, and you know when you've got Sydney and Melbourne that have, I think, 85% of all financial services and banking is done out of Sydney and Melbourne, and it's actually that takes up a large chunk of Asia as well. And then from an IT perspective, you certainly got an infrastructure build uh, perspective. You've got Brisbane. Uh, which majority of infrastructure is actually being done there, uh, whereas I think Victoria has the current, its current debt from builds is New South Wales, Queensland, and some other state might have been South Australia's combined. Yeah. So our, de- our debt is spiraling out of control here in Victoria, mm. uh, but, but and that's a concern too. Yeah, the, the household debt to income ratio is very high um, it is. in the eastern states, especially in New South Wales and Victoria. But but on the ESG point, you know the, the banks are critical really to reaching the net zero uh, goals uh, in their you know capacity to lend um, to renewable uh, sources over the next ten years. Yeah, and even the you know the current federal government did come out and state that we current and we've got an energy crisis going on here in Australia, but we do actually have to support the old school energy businesses and emitters of uh, CO2 uh, to be, because we can't just switch, flick the switch and transition. We still actually have to support them. Hmm. But if you have a look at what NAB have stated is they've, they've looked at their most you know, intense uh, CO2 emitters and they're actually working with them to see what they can actually do. So they're not saying don't dig coal, don't have you know uh, coal generators and things like that. They're saying what can we actually do to get the CO two emissions or offset them. Uh, so they're actually working with these uh, companies because they're still vital. 
uh, for us to be able to flick the switches on, they're actually still vital to have that. And if you have a look at Germany, that's why Germany have been uh, lambasted uh, basically with what's going on in Russia at the moment, because they've said, well, we're buggered if we don't get our energy from Russia. Uh, so we're kind of going to bit of turn. We're going to say you're naughty and turn a bit of a blind eye to make sure we can still put our electricity out, especially as they lead into winter. Mm. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> they got nothing. They can't. They can't heat a very large population. That that's not good. Yeah. Not good whatsoever. So I think that's what we're looking at with total markets. But I think our ESG focus uh, over the next uh, decade is going to have a substantial gain in our clients' portfolios as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But also, to one of your pet loves is infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the valuations on, on uh, companies that are typically in ESG portfolios, because they obviously don't have the resources stocks generally, um, that you know have, have been doing okay in the last six months, especially in Australia. But a lot of the tech growth style stocks that have been impacted by rising interest rates, um, you know, a lot of them are actually undervalued now. So, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect some growth out of those companies uh, like we saw in, in 2021. Yeah, and that's why I think you will see over the next uh, short while some rises in some of those holdings like, you know, your Bill Sustainability and your Australian Ethical that do have a good holding in that mid-cap region mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. I think that'll actually work quite well. Yeah, and infrastructure, as you mentioned, that's formed part of um, all of our portfolios now. But, you know, people are using um, airports and toll roads and railways again, and infrastructure as a, sector, as a sector has really boomed in the last three to six months. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of uh, areas of infrastructure that people don't know, like, for example, our power poles. They're actually privately owned. Uh, they're rented out. Uh, just the wires, they're rented out. So a lot of people, they used to be government owned, but they were all sold off. And that's where you see the power poles going from the old wooden ones to the metal ones uh, now as well. So, But it is there is infrastructure everywhere around the world and continually being built. And we don't have freeways anymore. We have toll roads mm. uh, now. So they're actually done with private companies and the likes of Transurban all of a sudden are starting to make money again. Yeah. We don't know the worst of it yet compared to up in Sydney. Uh, we've got it pretty easy here so far. We have, we have. Yeah. So, But it's. Uh, but I think, you know, going forward, uh, there's going to be a, a decade of real growth. So you're not getting rid of me just yet, Vaughn. Sorry, uh, I'm going to be around. I'm going to be around to enjoy that, that side of the team. Well, not 105 in 10 years, but yeah. Yeah, so, it's, uh, so I'm living to 105. That, that's the goal. But to do that, we have to have a healthy environment, a healthy life, and and you know look forward to everything just going forward. So I'm I'm actually very buoyed by the portfolios at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable that we've got them in a position to be able to really start we we haven't we haven't gone into stuff out of fear of missing out we've gone into stuff looking at long-term sustainability and good growth and limited downside and i think i think our portfolios right now are well placed to be able to achieve that especially when you don't have to start looking at some industry funds that are going to have to revalue their private equity and revalue their property and commercial and that that's going to be a concern Mm. uh, for them and it's probably why they've been avoiding it for so long uh, but I think we're well placed to take advantage of what's coming up over the next uh, 12 to 36 months with a long-term view over 10 years. Absolutely. Uh, gents, appreciate your time today. Um, Jamie, I appreciate you not falling asleep whilst we're talking <laughs> stocks. Well done, <laughs> mate. I've done well. <laughs> Thanks, gents. Thanks, Jamie. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. 
do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.